Welcome into another episode of ESPN's NBL podcast. My name's Kane Pittman, and alongside me, as he is every Tuesday, my esteemed college. <laughs> <laughs> keep it, keep it, keep it. I'm your college. No, I'm not. I'm also that. your colleague. I am not doing Kane. Boo, boo. I, I am not. Boo. Uh, we're we're going to do this again, are we? I'm being told we're not doing this again. Kane's uh, a coward. An all around good guy, Olga Nulich. I hope if the if I hope that's not edited. If you hear an edit, guys, I'm sorry. You missed out on some good fun. Uh, for better or worse, one take Pittman, they call me. <laughs> even if <laughs> even if things go horribly wrong, we're going to stick with it. But speaking the, of things... As the room erupts in laughter. That's go right. on. Speaking of things that didn't necessarily go horribly wrong, but uh, I realized on the weekend with no NBL that I, I need a hobby or something. I, I told you it was about 6 p.m. Saturday night. I was watching old NBL games. I was uh-huh. I was flicking through stats and considering what I could potentially write this week. So I am excited for Thursday night, Melbourne had, and Adelaide. I don't know if that's sad or not, but I'm excited. You've had withdrawals. I did. So I I opened up. I was quite bored. I opened up Ko and I went to replays. Mm. And my my brain was like, I should. It'd be good to throw one on, you know, get another, just get one of the games in. My brain just said, Nah, like don't do it. Well, at least we've discovered at the start of this podcast we don't have much of a life, but that's good because we've got yeah. basketball back this week. And it's always interesting. You have the FIBA break, or we haven't had a FIBA break for a while, but then we sit back and say, okay, what do we want to talk about on this podcast? And one team that I don't think that we've gotten into too much is the Perth Wildcats. Yeah, they... Look, everyone, every team has its narratives. Um, Perth has... They started off really strong, but they've been consistently sort of flailing ever since um, until their win over Adelaide. And so they're a look. They're a team that I'm not as concerned about as others. Um, and I don't know if you agree. I'm not overreacting with them. Um, there have been calls for what replace the imports, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I'm, I'm I feel like I'm pretty even keel with them. Why? Because I. I went. It's not just because I went into the season quite high on them, and I just I'd like I'd like my predictions to remain <laughs> yes, true. Um, but I just I trust their balance. Like I I trust what the guys in that team have proven. I trust Bryce Cotton. Um, I like the skill set of the imports they've brought in. Um, it's it's been a matter of you know where guys fit um, in your story that delved into a bunch of analytics. You looked at uh, different lineups and which ones works, which ones perhaps have not. Um, but I think it's just about guys finding spots. I, I trust the roster, and I trust the balance of it. Um, and I think John really is also... He's, I think he's, re- he's good at his job, and so I think it'll work out. I don't know, and I still think they're in that sort of... Maybe not that top tier, which is, I think, just Sydney alone, but I think they're in... I st- still think they're in the next one. Yeah, it's interesting that you use the word balance because this has been something that I've been curious about, which is why... I dove into all those numbers and you can find that story at ESPN.com.au. But basically, I was exploring the idea that in my mind, from watching, it felt like when Brady Manick and Tayshawn Thomas were on the floor together, the results weren't great defensively. So I, I thought, okay, let's have a look at this with the numbers. And ultimately, and you can go to the website and see the story, but the I, I put the lineups with Bryce Cotton, basically because Bryce Cotton, he's only spent 47 minutes on the bench for the entire season. He's basically <laughs> playing uh, the the entire season right now, which is fine. I'm sure that he loves that. I spoke to Bryce last year and he was one that wanted 48 minutes. So I'm yeah. sure he's not complaining <laughs> about the 35, 36 minutes a game that he's playing. But the minutes with Manic and Thomas right now defensively, 
have just not been great. Whether you look at the advanced numbers, you look at the raw plus minus, it's been bad. And I've been a little surprised. We saw Jesse Wagstaff come into the starting lineup. But ultimately, I've been surprised that Luke Travers hasn't started. And I know you can look at it and say, well, he's still playing 24 minutes a game. Uh, but to me, he's their second best player. And it's it's just bizarre that they haven't been able to find a way to get him in the starting lineup. And, and I wonder whether they've got Wagstaff there just purely for the shooting. He's shooting the three well. Um, but I don't think that Brady Manick is a bad... Sometimes we look at these imports and say, okay, I'm not sure whether they fit this league. I'm not sure whether they're going to make sense for this team. I don't think it's a, it's an issue with Manick or Thomas not being good players in this league. I just wonder if you can't play them together, does that limit you when you've only got these three import spots? Yeah, and so the, the Manick conversation is weird because if he was on Melbourne, I think that would help everyone, right? If they need someone with that skill set, he, he needs to be in an environment that probably suits him a bit better, maybe around a rim-protecting big as opposed to what Tayshon Thomas has been. Um, the, I, I spoke about the balance, but the Ross, the amount of guys they have that are pure fours, that it's it's basically like Tayshon Thomas, I don't know if he's a five in the NBL, um, but it's him, it's Manic, it's Travers, it's Wagstaff. They just have this weird rotation of four mm. men, um, and I guess it's positionless or whatever, but in the NBL, they're fours. Um, and then it's just Todd Blanchfield at the three, and then who's behind him, really? Is it what's Corey Sherville? Like, and and who, who I don't know his, if he's gotten any legitimate minutes this season. So they've just got this this weird mishmash of of front court guys. Um, what I found interesting and in, in, in your story as well is them playing Travers at the three just never worked, did it? It just doesn't work, especially with those with Thomas and Manic as the, the the four and five, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, if the results were basically flipped, if you either had Wagstaff or, with, Travers. With, or Travers, but not with one of the two, with Thomas or Manic, either one of them playing a five, it, it looked much better. And it, and with, they've only been through just over a quarter of the season. So you have two good nights with Manic and Thomas at the four and five, then those numbers are going to flip because we're sure. still so early in the season. So this is just so far what I thought I was seeing and then the numbers matched up with it now, but it can change. Uh, the eye test bears it out, so I don't think it's a matter of Manic and Thomas are going to have two great games against Illawarra and then the numbers are going to flip. That seems to be like the the trend this season. Um, but do you think it's a case of, let's say, Travis starts at the four and it's just Thomas and Manic go on for each other? I think so, but then, again, you've got 40 minutes, so you're limiting... We know how valuable imports are in this league, and if, if that's the conclusion that you come to, that they can only play 20 minutes each and whatever, that you'll, you'll split it up however you want, yeah. I just wonder if you're limiting yourself. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm of the mind that that's not even the crux of Perth's problems. Uh, like If you go down their roster, I look at Mitch Norton, who his numbers are down across the board. He's shooting 20% from three. Yeah, the inability to, to open things up for Cotton and, and those imports to succeed is bad. You look at Todd Blanchfield. He's shooting thirty, just under 32% from three, which is, I think, the worst he's shot from downtown in about 10 years. Right? It's bad. His numbers are down across the board. So it's these guys who we can ordinarily trust who are just not stepping up. And you can point to the struggles of, of Manic defensively, which are a concern. Um, I don't know if Thomas has really found the, the wrinkles that work for him yet. Cotton is doing what, what he can, but I think those other locals have to step up. Because um, at times, I think the team has looked old. And that's not a good sign 
this early in the season because I, I don't know how you, you flip that. Um, but again, I, I trust it because Norton, Blanchfield, even Corey Webster have demonstrated their worth in this league. I don't think they're over the the edge completely. And so I trust that they can come together because they've demonstrated the value. No, and I think that when I watch Perth, you compare them to last year, they had Vic Law. You go back and it was John Mooney who was a legit, you know, almost 20 and 10 guy. And then before that, it was Nick Kay. So I think the big thing is that you're just watching the Wildcats for me and I'm saying, well, who is the second guy? Because you mentioned Blanchfield yep. and Norton and all these players, but that's fine if they're the third or fourth option. But now it feels like people are watching the Wildcats and saying, geez, Blanchfield's shooting 31% from three. Why isn't he knocking down those shots? And he's just in a different role and there is greater expectation for him to deliver and score and on the perimeter they've had no scoring outside of Bryce Cotton so I think I think that's well, they're probably actually just sitting back as they have for years and saying gee I hope uh, Bryce gets that citizenship and then we'll just pick up a free import and away we go they are hopeful of that but let's say the roster remains unchanged mm. who is the second option on this team is it Thomas is it Travers because Travers is I think supposed to be the second creation option right I, I assume that's the case um, but yeah, is it Thomas? Is it Manic? I, I don't. I don't know who that second option offensively is. Yeah, well, I think Travers has been hurt by the the factors that you mentioned, the lack of shooting. Yeah. Because then all of a sudden the, the entire floor is shrinking, and that's why Brady Manic is an important player for this team. He's not. He's probably not a second star offensively because at the moment he's taking seven point six shots per game, and five of them are three. So he's virtually a, a floor yep. spacer, which is a very required skill set for this team. But yeah, maybe it's Travis, but I think that he might struggle for space if it's not in transition in the half court. Can he score? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But you would like to think that they could start him, but again, they might be looking for the shooting with Wagstaff. Yeah, they. I, in my mind, I think they want it to be Thomas, that second option, because there is this creation element that he has that everyone in that organization tells me he demonstrates in practice that he hasn't really shown in games yet. So I'm in, in the way that we've seen Alan Williams do it, right? You can throw the ball to him and he can create out of what the high post or just the top of the key, things like that. I haven't seen Thomas do it much yet, but that's apparently something he can be elite at. So if he can do that, then that is a reasonable second option. A bit of trivia for you, because this was pointed out to me uh, during my previously mentioned Saturday night's uh, stats hunting and it was pointed out to me by someone in the league I won't mention a name but uh which team and you're not going to get the the five-man lineup that would be a little bit harsh of me to ask you this but what if I do oh I'll tell you what that's why you would be one of the best in the business minimum 50 possessions uh raw plus minus who do you think is the best five-man combo in the league so far and 50 possessions is a pretty small sample but I just found this for nothing and it means nothing moving forward but it was uh just interesting to see the group um Oh, best five-man combo. Is it... My my brain told me cans. That if it's like a Scott, Kual, um, ah, I don't know, Hogue, Keanu, Pinder, and who am I missing? Is it... it am I like on the right track? Not really, but, okay, there's, <laughs> but, there, is a, but there is a five-man combo with cans, which is Kual, Hogue, Pinder... Scott Wardenberg, which, Wardenberg. Is, which has been a, a positive lineup when they've been on the floor. But no, this lineup is CG43, Dave Barlow, Rajon Tucker, Xavier Retard Mays, and who do you think the fifth player is? Is it is it Aquera? No. Is it Humphreys? No. Is it... Okay. Um, 
Who is the big? A is... player that we're not expecting to see in the NBL. Play oh, JC. Jordan Caroline. Jordan Caroline. So just the interesting did they play, bit. Did that lineup play 10 minutes and they went 20-0? and 0? Like... 50 possessions. They might have hit some threes in that time. But uh, Melbourne, just quickly. We're just quickly touching it. So we're expecting... Yes. Certainly we're, we're hearing it's a big man. It's a five. That This is going to come very soon. And perhaps by the time people are listening to this, as we said, Melbourne play on Thursday night against Adelaide, but we suspect that this news is coming in very soon. Yeah. I. Yeah, so they have a player lined up. Um, details, contracts are being worked out currently. Uh, the player is a... I'm not going to... I can't name him yet. Oh, I think... <laughs> I, I, we discussed this before the show, whether we could say it or not. I think just take it on. They'll be upset at you, but they'll move on. When is this dropping? Uh, pretty soon, Tuesday afternoon. Okay. Um, so they're signing Marcus Lee. Uh, that's it. Uh, all access has been cut off to Melbourne United. <laughs> um, so Marcus Lee uh, just played in Spain, uh, played in the NBA G League a little bit, uh, 28 years old, big guy, rim runner, lob catcher, that sort of guy. He plays above the rim, so he's a different sort of center to Isaac Humphreys. Um, again, fits that sort of Ariel Huck-Porty mold mm, that, that exactly. they're missing, right? Just a, a lob catcher, rim threat. Um and he went to Kentucky with Isaac Humphreys as well. So if there was any potential uh, tension that could come with bringing in a, a big man and, and who backs up whom and, and the expectations that he backs up Humphreys, that is probably diminished because they have a relationship already. Um, so you got me in trouble. Well, maybe. I think you'll be fine. But what I think a scoop. You'll be fine. The news is coming out. They've got to play everyone. You know, people know that they were about to sign someone. So that's yeah. uh, that's good news for Melbourne. Uh, we mentioned the emergence of David Cuera. He's come in. I think that mm. gives them a, another option that potentially they weren't sure that they were going to have at the start of the season. Dean Vickerman spoke a lot about trust and what players can he trust in the rotation. Aquera has been one of those guys. So uh, that's, that's good stuff for Melbourne. And we've discussed whether there maybe is more import changes to come. But at least for now... Uh, Isaac has had some moments where he struggled with foul trouble and then it looked like just frustration with the foul trouble which a lot of big men go through but and then not being able to defend because he yeah. because he wants to avoid That's foul right. trouble because he has no backup yeah so I this will be good for Melbourne and I'm excited I actually am really I've mentioned it a couple of times but this game between Melbourne and Adelaide we've been to a few games this season where I've looked at you before the game and said I got no idea what's going to happen and I'm kind of in the same boat uh, with this one on Thursday but I'd say it's going to be uh, pretty fun. I was thinking about Sydney though. Xavier Cooks went down against New Zealand with the ankle. Now they're still really confident. They got the scans, no real damage there. They're thinking he's still only going to miss two, maybe three games. If he was going to go down, and this was going to happen for Sydney, I was looking at their schedule last night. So they play Illawarra on Sunday. He's not going to play in that game. That's fine. On the 28th, they play Cairns, so they have an entire week off. And then the fourth is that potential third game against Adelaide, but that would be four weeks to the day since the injury. So just with the timing, I mean, you never want Xavier Cooks to go down at all, particularly he's had such a good run of health, but uh, the timing's probably not too bad. No, and he's... Again, we know how important he is to that team. He's probably the MVP up until this point, um, but the fact that that team has had continuity with its roster, they're pretty deep, um, and... I think they can still guard in the similar way that they have been this entire time. Like you mentioned in your story about the, the sort of shots that they're, they're trying to force, um, you know, keep the shots away from the corners, um, limit shots at the rim. And 
and even in the in-between area, it's just tough to score on them, even with Xavier Cooks out of the lineup, because they do have Tim Suarez, who's been surprisingly impressive defensively. That wasn't something I was expecting from him. Um, and they do have Justin Simon, just these 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 yeah. long, big guys who it's just, just tough to score around. So, again, it's it's the schedule is advantageous, and, and obviously you don't want any player to go down, especially your best player. Um, but I think they'll be okay. Like they're just they're well drilled enough that I think they can get through it just fine. They're so deep. You talk yeah. about those five man lineups. Uh, I mentioned the the Jordan Caroline five man lineup, but for Sydney, uh, they actually have the second ranked, uh, which is a, actually tied on on the raw plus minus with that Melbourne group, and it's Bawali Bales, Geordie Hunter, Sean Bruce, and then you've got Cooks and DJ in there, the two starters. But they've just they've just got ten guys, and then you've seen Jalen Galloway come in, and he's had seriously good minutes and. Yeah. Uh, I they're just a really deep team and just to quickly reference those numbers you mentioned so at the rim uh, teams are shooting uh, 111 of 214 I did have it here but I've scrolled away 200, from it but 218 218 so it's 51% at the rim 51% I mean and that's 8% below the league average if you're keeping teams to 51% and then you're forcing them to shoot those above the break threes it's the toughest team we talk about which teams are the best defense in the league and the numbers bounce around but the profile for Sydney very similar to last year uh, this is just a really damn good defensive team yeah Sydney and New Zealand have really hovered around that best defense in the league area and that hasn't wavered too much um, and Sydney's only had one game against Illawarra which is a hilarious wrinkle in the analytics but like I assume one more game against them and my goodness they're the best defensive team in the universe um, that's the Brisbane rule. That's the NBL 23 Brisbane rule. They were they were the worst in every stat just about. Then they played Illawarra twice. And then, it hey, they're flipped. top three. It just flipped. They're top three in everything. So, yeah, Sydney will get Illawarra this week. No cooks, though. Um, I have a question for you. Are you more concerned about... I feel like we've had a variation in this question. Perth or Adelaide? Because Adelaide has made its change. They dropped Craig Randall. Um, they're going to bring someone in soon. But... I think their issues go way deeper than just Craig Randall's existence and whatever havoc he caused. Um, do do you think this makes any like tangible difference to their team? Uh, I think that well, I, I think we briefly mentioned it last week, but I you know Mitch McCarron I think is a guy that if you're going to have him in the starting lineup, then the ball needs to go through his hands. I think he's someone that will really keep the offense ticking over. So I think that that should be better for everyone. I think Robert Franks clearly can get more shots. Cleveland is probably the guy, if uh, listeners remember last week, you absolutely eviscerated me for my top 15 and not having Cleveland in the 15, which I thought was very fair, uh, very much fair criticism. But I expect that he's going to do a, a little bit more offensively just by virtue of having more touches. The defensive stuff I get, but two guys that the numbers have actually been okay when they've been on the floor defensively for the entire team. Uh, is Sunday Detch, who we think is going to play more, mm-hmm. and Drimich as well. So I think those two guys play. They were they were there last year. So I think there's some familiarity there. Uh, again, we need to see it Thursday night because it could look disastrous, but I'm optimistic. I have uh, a suggestion that's maybe a bit out in left field. Who for, CJ? Sure. <laughs> uh, so they have an import spot open. Okay. Um, my thinking is that they should go and get a big man. Yeah. Go and get a an athletic, defensive-minded big. Um, okay. Do they have one on the roster already? 
potentially? <laughs> I'm just asking Say the question. Say his name. Say his name now. Kai Soto, which, by <laughs> the way, we in the... And he did some great stuff for the Philippines over the weekend in the FIBA World Cup qualifiers. And you talk about predictions we had in the preseason. And f- we went through and we had five teams each. And you had to have a bold prediction for the team. And my bold prediction for the 36ers was that Soto would be starting by the end of the NBL 23 regular season. Uh, time will tell. You sticking by it? Well, I think that there's enough offense yeah. and we'll see what they do with this import spot. I don't think that it would be... Again, has Soto done enough in his minutes? The The advanced numbers look pretty good in the lineups that he's been on there. We know he can protect the rim. Is it possible that a superstar of the franchise, Daniel Johnson, can get buckets off the bench and you bring in Soto at the five? Is that the, is that the craziest thing anyone's ever suggested? I, I think he should. Um, and I'm surprised there isn't much. I think the the, the reason there's not not enough conversation about it is because of Daniel Johnson's resume. Yeah, and he deserves. It's not. Oh, I'm not saying it's that, not unwarranted it, at all. Yeah, and um, I'm not definitely not saying it in any type of disrespect or just again we're talking balance of the lineups. So, oh, is this going to sound disrespectful? What is the difference functionally between Daniel Johnson and Brady Maddock uh, on both ends of the floor? Yeah, Johnson's probably a more talented scorer, but probably he's definitely got more in his bag. Yeah, but they function, I think, in the same way. In that, I don't think a team that has Brady Manick playing can can consistent, considerable minutes is going to be a good defensive team, and I, I don't think that's conducive to a team that wins a championship. And so, I think that's the same with Daniel Johnson. I think his his minutes have to be spot; they have to be limited. Um, and just use him for what he's good for. But the crux of the team has to have some sort of defensive identity. And with Johnson there, I don't think that exists. Well, I can assure you this wasn't some kind of Mick Foley cheap pop by mentioning Soto to the starting lineup. But I, I think, you know, I think there's something there. Or maybe to your point, yeah, maybe they think that with Sunday and the guys that they can put through the guard rotation, maybe they do need to go big. But they've got a lot of big bodies. So. They, have, they have a lot of bigs and they don't have enough guard creation, yeah. I don't think. And so they, they're not going to go that direction. Um, but but like I also you mentioned Kaisoto. I think Kyron Galloway should get more minutes. Mm. I, I think he I think he's a guy who's out of all of the I'd say true centers, but all of the actual big guys on that roster, he's maybe the only one who's actually demonstrated a, a consistent ability to defend. Uh, that's because again we're going to get into the NBL over obviously uh, this weekend, and we'll be able to dive back into it next week and and probably discuss more of these points that we've surfaced today. Uh, did you get up at one o'clock in the morning to watch the Boomers uh, handle Kazakhstan on the weekend? I did not. I did not, Kane. Mm. I watched it on Saturday morning. <laughs> <laughs> did you watch any of it? As in, did you watch any of it live? No, I was asleep, and I'm a terrible sleeper. I'm a, I'm a I'm a five hour a night man, and and if I get that, okay, bro. Well, I'm not saying that as a brag. I just don't know what to do about I think it. You were. I've tried. I've tried multiple things, and I, I just can't sleep. If anyone oh, has I'm any tips, let me know. Okay. Very tired right now. That's why I stuffed up the intro to this podcast. Yes. Fatigue. And I hope we kept it in. Uh, I, I just don't think there's really anything to learn from these games. Okay, so let me ask you a question then. Is there anyone from that game that played on Friday night slash Saturday morning that could come into the World Cup squad? Like, outside of Nick K, mm, who fair. is effectively a lock. Bronze medalist. Um, And outside of... As in, are we counting Xavier Cooks? No, he didn't play. Okay, he's on the roster. Um, <laughs> then no, no. A p- part of me thought, does DJ Vasiljevic have 
some consideration just because of the skill set he brings. And they and Australia just doesn't have that. like you got Ingles who will presumably be healthy and he'll play. Um, if Golding gets on that roster again, I, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, CG forty three is, and this is we we discussed this on the jump going back a few weeks ago, and we did our projected starting fives for the World Cup, and I had Joe Ingles starting, which raised some eyebrows because. Which I I don't I mean obviously we understand the ACL, but the reason why first of all Joe can do a bunch of different things pick and roll ball, secondary ball handle all that kind of stuff, but he's also so important because he can shoot the three. So as you mentioned, so you got Joe, you got Patty, and the big guys on lower volume, but CJ forty three or yeah potentially DJ the guys just because there is a lack of shooting. Even if you think about the NBA guys and there is so much NBA talent right now. But with Giddy and Daniels and even Travis we spoke about on this podcast, Matisse Thibel, Ben Simmons, yep. if he makes that squad, uh, not exactly knockdown shooters today as we record this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you've got, you've got a lot of creators, you have a lot of athletes, but those things are redundant, especially in FIBA ball, if, you, if the floor is little. Yeah. And so literally just having someone like Chris Golding, a no-leave shooter in the corner, provides so much value even if he never touches the ball that's why Vasiljevic is perhaps a consideration because of that skill set because he really doesn't have to do anything but exist as his reputation which is why the young fella at Duke Tyrese Proctor is also interesting because even watching the Asia Cup uh, earlier this year with the way that he shot the ball it was just a point of difference and I was like okay this is an Australian guard that's shooting the ball off the dribble This this is new yeah and look he's started his season slowly at Duke but I think we are very aware of what his skill set is and what he's demonstrated thus far. Um, I don't know if he's a a World Cup guy yet. I don't know if he's an Olympian. Mm. Um, but he's very young. Yeah. In the but in the future, he's one of those. He's one of the guys. Uh, should we wrap this up with some quick NBA stuff? Uh, who do you want to talk about? Who's who's got you excited the most out of the Aussies? Who do you want? Because I got two, and I don't want to take. If, if you've only got one that you're like keen to talk about no I can do it I, I can talk about them all okay um look let's do Josh let's do Josh Green okay if I may please so he started the season extremely strong um came still comes off the bench for the Mavericks uh he his impact is so clear on this team the look that he brings athletically uh the way he's shooting the ball this season compared to other seasons, it's just night and day. And I think he provides such a, an important piece for that team. Um, he's, I've got his, so there was a point in the season, about eight games in, where he was leading the league in net rating, in, he was leading his team in plus minus, he's one of the best in the league in plus minus. Um, he was the lead leaguer in three point percentage. And, He's tapered off a little bit, but he's still hovering around a really, really good area. He's fourth in the league in true shooting percentage, um, first among guards. His numbers are up across the board. He's shooting more threes. So I think, and this goes back to the conversation you had with him um, in the offseason, it was about him sort of understanding the role that he needs to play. And, and settling into it and just being super comfortable in it. And for a 21-year-old, I think he's done that really, really well. It'll be interesting with Dallas because as I was going through some of the numbers, I think one of the 
the fascinating parts of all this, and you speak about the team stats when, when Green's on the floor, the net rating, all, all those kinds of things, a lot of it's been with the other bench guys, mm. which is fascinating. So he's played 226 minutes as we record here on Tuesday. Only 102 of them have been with Luca, which is fascinating. So more than 50% of his minutes have been with Luca on the bench. Yeah, there's he's as much as we can talk about how conducive he is to being a player that's perfect for Luca. There, there are lineups that they play that have Spencer Dinwiddie, Josh Green, even Christian Wood, um, Dorian Finney-Smith, and those are really good defensive lineups. So they get stops and he can run. And as far as points per possession in transition, he's elite right now. Yeah. And so, like, that's super impressive. And then just he's just... He brings this energy, and we've known that already, but the fact that he can bring a really, you know, calm and, and settled version of himself now is is the difference I think we knew that he can sort of be an erratic rim running athletic guy he'll he'll grab offensive boards he'll he'll rim run but now he can sort of bring the whole package he can he can stand in the corner he makes good decisions make quick decisions like he's taken a real leap outside of Giddy who I'm sure we'll talk about he's I think been the most impressive Australian this season yeah 19 minutes a game Jason Kidd head coach of the Mavericks has suggested that he wants to get him more time at the moment they're basically still playing 10 guys so I'm sure that and you mentioned the chat that I had with Josh Green and he was very well aware of the idea that you have to knock down those threes mm-hmm. every single time he shoots a three going by the tracking data he's wide open every single attempt he's been <laughs> wide open so he's not striking fear into defenses yet as a three-point shooter which makes sense he do, he will, he'll need to get there though because once you get to the to the postseason it becomes harder to play guys that the opposition don't have to worry about that's that's the reality and that's the reality that he became very aware of last year when uh, Jason Kidd tightened to the ro- the rotation and and he was out of that so that that that'll be the big question but it would be hard to have been any more impressive so far uh, speaking about your uh, your good pal uh, Joshy Giddy who goes to the garden and just likes to drop triple doubles for fun. He likes that arena. He, me too, by the way. So it's something we've got in common. It's a nice arena. Um, he, he, the first time they played there, he dropped a triple double. I think it was yeah. a twenty-eight point triple double. Yeah. Um, and he and he knows it too. He when he goes into that building, like he's very aware of, of where he is and how he has to perform. And he <laughs> did it again. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me. What 24, 10, and eleven um, against the Knicks. In a, it was an absurd game as well. 145 points. The Thunder scored on the Knicks. 145 which, to 135 in regulation. That's like that's an abs- that's not real. Um, that's an absurd game. But look, he's he's had again. It's still very early in the season, and he's had some ups and downs, um, especially with the fit with Shagel just Alexander is still something. It's it's going to be a conversation all year long, especially because of how well Shea is playing right now as well, and so whether they can play together is still something that is being talked about it is still something that NBA scouts bring up to me can they play together um, we are still yet to see it consistently we saw little glimpses of it toward the end of last season and as you know Josh as a cutter and them learning how to play off each other um, but the thing that will help that again if the Thunder are committed to rolling with those two as you know their primary creators is the that three point percentage is ticked up against small sample size but it's up to just under 35%, which it was below 30% last season. And so, obviously, it's something he's worked on. The form has shifted a little bit. He's been working with Chip England. So, there is there is reason to be optimistic that that he, that he the partnership can work and that his trajectory will remain going up. 
Yeah, so it's interesting because everyone talks about the three-point shot, which makes perfect sense. I wonder, and he scored yesterday, and there's certain games where he's shown an ability to score, and the shooting is a part of that. Uh, he's such a wizard with the ball on his hands in terms of facilitating that he could really be the player that he is right now. His next contract will be 150 plus million. He's going to live an absolutely superb life and be a fantastic NBA player. And by the time he's done, maybe he would be the most decorated NBA player this country's seen. So he's on the path. But where does the offensive stuff get better for him? And at the moment, he's only 20. He's a very young man, still physically uh, growing into his body. So the stuff will be uh, finishing at the rim. So last year, he was 57%, which is 26th percentile. So not not great finishing at the rim for players at his position and this year he's only at 55 percent again so when i watch him i mean he gets to wherever he wants to get no problem at all and then sometimes he just leaves him on the rim with those those little laps so that's clearly an area where he can bump up his scoring without a problem and i think it'll be just him uh, getting stronger and and working through contact because his foul rate or percentage of shots that he's fouled on is is very very low as well he doesn't get to the free throw line uh, a lot at this point but something that was interesting to me and this is a pretty obscure stat and it's very early in the season again so I'm sure this will bounce around but last year and this is cleaning the glass that has some some pretty cool stuff on, on that website but his and one rate which is the percentage of shooting fouls that he's able to finish Okay. so last year 19.4% which was um, pretty low this year 75% <laughs> so uh, that's going to balance out but it's not a bad indicator of someone being able to finish through contact. He had a couple of them against Milwaukee the other day where he almost single-handedly ensured that that game went to overtime by having about six offensive rebounds late <laughs> in the fourth quarter and through overtime. He was he was unbelievable. So, yeah, just those little things. He's 20. He's 20. Yeah. And, and he's, he's, as I said, getting stronger and, and learning to work through that contact. And that's easy stuff. Like, that's stuff that I just suspect is going to happen. Yeah, and it's it's that's been clear so far this season that he is stronger yeah um it was obviously a focus in the off season if you look at his dad and you know where he ended up as you know his peak physical stature in his professional career you know that the, the frame is there to continue to add mm. size and strength um when you talk about where does he find those scoring wrinkles i think we saw it in that Knicks game that floater game which i'd like to it'd be good to delve in on the numbers at some point this season where that is because he just looks like he's he's touch around that um, around the rim is, is really, really impressive. We saw it... We didn't see it in the NBL at all. But then we saw it around the start of the season with Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, and maybe he, that is to avoid the NBA-caliber rim protectors. You know, it's a way around that. Of course. Um, and especially if guys like chase over screens and I guess the big commits to the, the roller, he's got that shot there and, and he's got that touch to, to hit it. Um, but... Oh, I've lost my train of thought. Um, what did you think of the Wally Zerbiak stuff? I have a, I've literally have his name written down here. Because um, I feel like he, Giddy's been terrorizing these Knicks, and they don't like it. Well, I don't think he, the Wally, who, by the way, does a superb job. On He's great. MSG, I think it is. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they just watched the Knicks give up 145 points That's on true. their home floor. I assume he wasn't in a great mood. But yeah. nonetheless, very entertaining. Yeah. One more thing I'll say about Giddy is when he was about to be drafted, the, the question was, where does where does his advantage creation come from? So, you know, for example, this draft, you look at a guy like Scoot Henderson, 
he is super athletic. Um, he has an amazing handle. And so if he comes off a ball screen, you know, if he turns a corner, he's so athletic that he's created an advantage and that's how he can create for others um, or for himself. If you look at anyone who can take someone off the dribble, all right, that's the advantage. With Giddy, he wasn't super quick. It wasn't super athletic. He didn't have the shot um, that forced guys to close out hard on him. And so it was where was the advantage creation? And I think so far, it's literally just his IQ and his ability to see stuff that other people can't. And so he creates advantages by throwing passes to spots for dudes to succeed. Um, and I think that's something that not many players in the NBA have that, the ability to have an adva- to create an advantage just by being really smart. Yeah, I think I threw a tweet out there halfway through last year and said that he was already a top two inbound passer in the NBA. And I was, wasn't sure if that was... I needed to take off my Aussie hat or you know, whatever it was, but I, I still feel comfortable. Legitimate. Yeah, him and Jokic, the two best inbound passers in the league. It's it, The highlight reel for Giddy for his, his out-of-bounds stuff is just absolutely insane. It's uh, it's pretty fun to watch. I don't think I don't think anyone else outside of Giddy and Jokic actually focus on using inbounds passes as to, to score. People just use it just as to, to get it in. They, he uses it as, again, there is an advantage here. We, I'm like, the, look how f- spread the floor is right now. And that's why OKC have got something cool building with all these young fellas as well that have played together for a little bit now, but hopefully um, for a few more years. Uh, Let's wrap it up. I know we were going to mention Jock Landau. He's been doing good stuff uh, Mm. with Phoenix. I'm sure we'll get to that at some point. But uh, NBL's back Thursday night. I'm sure I'll see you there, 7.30 p.m., John Kane Arena, Melbourne and Adelaide. Uh, I said I don't know who's going to win. Who do you think is going to win that game? Uh, I think Melbourne will win that game. Will and it? I have no reasons for this. Uh, oh, you know what? No, Adelaide is just not a good defensive team. Melbourne is coming off okay. a really good win, you know, an uplifting win over Southeast Melbourne at the throwdown. I imagine the the feelings of that will carry over to this one. Um, and then they have a throwdown after that as well. I think Saturday. All right. Well, Perth Wildcats fans, if you've listened to this and you got any feedback, you can let us know on social media. But also make sure you watch the jump 8:30 p.m. on ESPN. Craig Hutchison is going to be on the jump. <laughs> and if you're a Wildcats fan, you're probably going to want to watch that interview. So make sure you check out the jump, 8.30 p.m. on ESPN. And then watch Adelaide and Melbourne, 7.30 p.m. on ESPN on Thursday night as well. And then Olga and myself will be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys.